Good morning, Hillcrest. I am glad to be with you today. My name is Jessica Fick, and I've heard about your church for about 10 years, even though I um, recently moved here with my family from Cleveland, Ohio. We moved here for me to take a job with Stonecroft Ministries as their Evangelism Resource Director. Some of you, I guess, are familiar with Stonecroft? Yes, a few of you? Well, we were joking when I got hired there um, that it was like they were hiring Jimmy Fallon to take over for Jay Leno for The Tonight Show. And then someone corrected me and said, actually, it's more like they're hiring Jimmy Fallon's like you to take over for Johnny Carson. So moving things in new directions, trying new things. We're not doing karaoke at Stonecroft yet, but maybe we will. So um, I met Beth Severson about 10 years ago when she worked as a writer for InterVarsity. And so she would just tell me about your congregation and the vibrant place it is. So I'm excited to be with you here today. Today we're gonna to talk about dinner. We're gonna talk about dinner plans. And I love talking about this because I come from a family of foodies. Uh, my husband, Dave, likes to make fun of my sister and I when we're in the kitchen preparing because as we're chopping the onions and we're putting the marinade on the meat, we start talking about how good the meal is going to taste. Oh yeah, you should add just a little bit more ginger here. You should add a bit more pepper. And we just get so excited about the meal that we prepare. At one point, my mom actually had her own cooking show on a local cable access channel in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where I grew up. And she was so excited about the food that she was preparing. She put the venison, any game hunters here, or wild game eaters? I, I ate a lot of venison growing up. That's like all we had in the Upper Peninsula. Anyway, she had put the venison on this golden platter, and as the host of the show asked her about the, the meat, she said, yes, and the gold, gold platter just makes the meat shineth forth. So we still give her a hard time about that, but, um, and occasionally we have meat shineth forth at our family meals, but when we're sitting down after we've made all the preparations, we sit together with the candles lit and the cloth napkins, and we pass all the food around. We just sigh with delight. Oh, this is so good. Rach, this meat is falling off the bone. It is so tender. And oh, those rolls that you always make, Mom, are just delicious. They, they just taste perfect with this meal. So afterwards, as we're clearing the table from the dishes and brewing tea or coffee and putting food into Tupperware containers, what, take a guess at what we're talking about. Any guesses? Okay, so dessert would be a good option, and that would be very close because I love to bake. I'm a, I'm a pie person, so if you need a pie baked, I'm your, I'm your gal. Um, we, we do talk about dessert, but we also talk about how good the food is going to taste the next day when we heat it back up. And Dave will just laugh at us saying like, you guys enjoy the meal before it's made, you enjoy it while it's being eaten, and you, you love to reminisce about the food that you ate. <laughs> after you just consumed it. Well, I love this about my family, um, and I love seeing this in our scripture today in Mark 14, because in Middle Eastern cultures, life revolved around the table as well. And as Christians, one of the key sacraments of our faith happens through eating and drinking. It involves coming to the table together to celebrate, to reflect, to mourn, and to be renewed. Today we're looking at Mark 14, 12 through 25. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. 
Again, it's Mark 14, 12 through 25. It's a story of the Last Supper. So let's read the passage together. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to make preparations to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely, not I. It is one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of that vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. As I was praying and preparing for this message, um, Mark let me know that you guys have been going through this Tim Keller book, and he said I should just leave it here on Sunday, but it's so good that I'm tempted um, to forget to leave it here <laughs> today. Um, I've really loved looking at this um, and getting an insight into what you as a congregation are learning. And in King's Cross, Tim Keller writes, Passover was an annual meal that commemorated a defining moment in the history of Israel. Israelites had been enslaved to the Egyptians, oppressed and in bondage. To free his people, God told the Israelites to make preparations, to sacrifice a lamb and paint the blood over their doors. The sacrifice in the blood of the lamb marked the people and the families that were under divine protection and provision from God. Keller goes on to write, you were only saved on the basis of faith in a substitutionary sacrifice. Stop and think about how extreme the consequences were if there wasn't blood on the doorway. A child would die. God's provision is always connected with sacrifice, a sacrifice of some sort. And here we see that there would be death if the instructions weren't followed. That is what the Israelites celebrated. And we see this as Jesus begins to prepare for his own death. The scripture is broken into three sections. First, preparation. Second, betrayal. And the third, celebration. And I love that this scripture is kind of a microcosm of what life with Jesus looks like for his disciples and for each of us. 
The first part of this scripture is all about preparation. Jews would have been familiar with making preparations for the Passover because it was a key celebration in their faith. The meal was prepared in a certain order, with certain foods, and specific words said at specific times. When my husband and I lived in Cleveland Heights, um, the largest Orthodox Jewish population outside of New York City um, is in Cleveland Heights. And so when we would drop our son off for preschool, we'd drive past all the kids walking into Hebrew school and we'd see the big black hats and the large beards. And on one of these occasions, um, Dave was looking at a bike on Craigslist and uh, the guy who was selling it happened to be Jewish. And it was right before they were about to celebrate Passover. And so Dave was outside looking at the bike and the guy was yelling at his five kids on the front lawn who were munching on crackers. And he said, you kids, don't you dare go in the house. Your mother and I have been preparing for a week for the Passover meal. Your grandparents and your aunties and uncles are coming. I better not find one cracker crumb in that house. Even today, Jewish folks take preparations for the Sabbath very seriously. The preparations that Jesus asks his disciples to make are really different from what they would have expected and experienced at any Passover celebration in their lives. And it was different in a number of ways. It was mysterious. Passover typically took place at a family's home. When the disciples asked, where do you want us to go to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Because they're probably thinking, you know, Jesus, if it's Mary and Martha where we're gonna eat the Passover meal, we really need to give Martha a heads up because you know she gets stressed out hosting dinner parties. <laughs> it was different than what they had experienced. Jesus says to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, meet the owner of the house where he leads you, and he'll show you to a large upper room. So I want you to picture the Passover celebration. The city was packed with people coming into town to celebrate the Passover. So when we moved here this August, um, about a month after we moved here, the Royals won the championship. Uh, how many of you guys went downtown for the parade, the celebration? How many of you watched it on TV and said, I am not getting near that crowd? <laughs> well, we decided we're in a new city, one in Rome, let's go down to the parade. And um, you know, it was just a sea of blue, if you remember. And my kids were so excited to see the players, but we could not get anywhere close to the street. So I said, kids enjoy seeing thousands of people wearing blue shirts today. Um, this is, this is We'll catch the, the highlight reel on the news. <laughs> this is what it would have looked like at Passover. Crowds just filling the streets, buying last minute things, coming into town, helping out families. And Jesus tells them, find a dude with a water jar. It wouldn't have been easy, but it would have been unusual. I recently read um, some of what the author Margaret Feinberg wrote about this passage and it said, it would have been unusual for them to see a man carrying a water jar because women typically carried the water jars. Men carried water skins. So even this was different than what they expected. I think following Jesus for us is a lot like what the disciples experienced. We think we know how things are going to go 
or how they're supposed to go. And then Jesus tells us something that we don't expect. A few years ago, I was, uh, Dave and I were over at a friend's house for dinner, and they had been through a really intense family season, a lot of pain in their lives. They'd had a rigorous travel schedule. And so we said, you know, can we just come over and cook dinner for you tonight? And they said, sure, that would be great. We would love that. Kids can play together. And um, Dave is really good at cooking fajitas. If you ever want fajitas, call us up over at our place, and he'll cook you up some mean fajitas. So as we're you know, standing there chopping the onions and the peppers and everything, our friend York is kind of right next to us saying, you know, I really chopped the peppers a little bit smaller because um, you know, the big ones are hard for the kids to chew, and oh, are you gonna use that much cumin? What about, what about lime? I've got lime in the fridge. If you need lime, just let me know. And every single step of the preparations, he was kind of right there asking us questions saying, is this gonna be different? Is this gonna be different than the normal fajitas I eat on a weekly basis? I don't know, a quarter teaspoon more cumin? That might just blow my mind. At one point, I just looked at him and said, who is making dinner here? Maybe it's like that with your spouse or your family. I think sometimes we treat God like that too. We have our plans and we have our preparations and when things start to deviate, it becomes really confusing. We have to start to trust Jesus in new ways. And as you look at the preparations and plans in your life, you might be saying, God, this is how things are supposed to be prepared. I was supposed to be married by now. My spouse wasn't supposed to die before retirement. I wasn't supposed to get laid off. My child wasn't supposed to walk away from you. I should have never received the call from the doctor with that diagnosis. The disciples are experiencing the tension of a different plan and preparation than what was normal, than what they had expected, than what they had always known. Not only is it confusing, it's painful. Jesus knew that he would be betrayed and one of his disciples was the one who would betray him. Those who were closest to him. And this is why he sends them on a different kind of journey of preparation. Even the way Jesus would be betrayed came in his timing, in the way it was told in scripture. If Judas didn't know where they were meeting, he couldn't preemptively betray him. God is sovereign, even in the midst of confusion and betrayal. Mark 14 says, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely, surely, not, not I. One by one, we say to the Lord as well, surely, not I. None of us ever think that we are capable of betrayal. But it's here when Jesus and the disciples are reclining together in what is the most common and intimate places, the dinner table, 
that Jesus lets them know he will be betrayed. What do we do in those places? I think about my friend and her husband who struggle every time her son and his wife come over for dinner because they're working through uh, the adultery that um, she committed against my friend's son. And even though my friends are praying for them and trying to help them work through their marriage, it's painful. The betrayal still happened. I think about my friend Maggie, who really struggles at holiday gatherings because her parents have made it clear that her partner is not invited to family gatherings. And it feels like a betrayal that Maggie's a lesbian and seemed to reject everything her parents taught her to believe. It was a betrayal for Maggie when she came out as gay and her parents disowned her but she still comes to the family holiday meals because hey, it's family and what else do we have? I think about my own heart and the places of resentment towards my friends and family. The grudges that I hold or the wrongs I just keep replaying and replaying and replaying in my own mind all while passing the bread basket. I sit in the place of confusion and betrayal because it's what my heart and each of our hearts is like. And Jesus knows it. He's there sitting with us at the table. Even if we're passive aggressive and not outwardly mean or hurting someone, Jesus sees into those dark places in our hearts. And together, at the family meal, filled with confusion and betrayal, Jesus sits with his disciples. And do you know how he responds? He gives them himself. Preparation, betrayal, celebration. Regardless of what has happened in the past, and no matter what will happen in the future, Jesus celebrates the Passover in a way that will change the world forever. He celebrates the Lord's Supper in the midst of confusion and betrayal. And in the end, that is all we can really do as well. The disciples are confused because there is no Passover lamb. They're kind of asking, where's the beef, Jesus? Well, where's the lamb, Jesus? There's no lamb because Jesus is the lamb. He is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And his words are shocking, so shocking. This is my body. This is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many. The Last Supper marked a turning point in the history of time. No longer did people have to work and make sacrifices for God to accept them. A sacrifice was becoming permanent. The sacrifice was becoming true for each and every one of them from the inside out. There's no longer a lamb to sacrifice because Jesus is the Passover lamb. We're spared the wrath of God because Jesus came and he sat with us. And more than that, he said, I actually live inside of you. When we take communion, we remember that Jesus is with us. He says to his disciples, take, take it and eat. In King's Cross, Tim Keller writes about this and says, Jesus says, take it. 
He lets us know that we have to take what he is doing for us. We have to receive it actively. You don't get the benefit of food unless you take it and digest it. You can have a meal piled high in front of you with all the food cooked to perfection and you could still starve to death. To be nourished by a meal, you have to eat it. The excellent preparation of the food doesn't help you if you're not willing to pick it up and take it into yourself. Taking it is the same as saying, this is the real food I need. Christ's unconditional commitment to me and Christ's unconditional commitment to you. When we take communion, we remember that Jesus is with us. He can heal us of the brokenness in our lives and in our families. And that blood that poured out of his body on the cross is the same blood that heals us of our sins. It's the same blood that gives us power to forgive those who have betrayed us. Communion is the reminder that Jesus has made this true for us each and every day. But he doesn't want it to stop with just a little plastic cup and a tiny wafer of bread. He wants to invite us into a feast of abundance, a feast of celebration, now and forever. When Jesus celebrates the Passover in this totally new way with the disciples, he's making an oath. He says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. He is telling them, I'm going to die before I taste the new wine that God is giving us. And I really love that phrase in the scripture that Jesus says. He says, until that day, or on that day, because it gives us a picture of what he's doing now and what he's secured for us in eternity. We get to experience the living, indwelling power of Jesus now, even before he comes to make all things right. He's here with us now and until that day to free us from our brokenness and confusion and heal us of the pain of betrayal. Jesus is doing something now and he will do something in the future. We get to experience this in our lives and our families and we get to invite others to see that this is true. We get to invite them to see what this looks like in real life. I want you to reflect today on who Jesus is inviting you to make dinner plans with. Maybe it's the neighbor across the street that seems to have life completely together. When Dave and I were trying to figure out where to live here in the Kansas City area, I went on Prairie Village's website and I thought, this looks like a quaint little place. So cute, and it's been great. Um, but I also found out that people sometimes refer to Prairie Village's perfect village. And no place is perfect. Even if it's well manicured on the outside, Jesus sees into our hearts. And maybe you have a neighbor across the street who is so lonely because they're a retiree and wonder, does anyone even see me anymore? Maybe they're struggling because parenting kids is so tiring and it's so hard. Can I get an amen from any parents here? Maybe grandparents who are investing in young grandkids and they just think, I need a five hour nap after taking care of my grandkids. Maybe it's someone who is just so angry and struggling because life has not gone how they thought it would. 
and they are wondering, what does this mean? What does this mean for my marriage, for my business, for my family, for how I view myself and how I view others? Who does Jesus want you to make dinner plans with? What is on that day for you? Maybe it's the confusion of the plans Jesus has you in right now that seems strange and difficult. Maybe it's a relationship where you've been betrayed and hurt or it's different than what you hoped for. There were times my sister and I um, would sit at our family table just seething in anger at each other. It was so painful for my family because my parents would just pray and wonder, when are our girls gonna get along with each other? And we would smile and we'd pass the salad, but things were not okay. And everyone knew it. Over years of restoration, God has restored my relationship with my sister. We pray together on a weekly basis now. But it took intentionality, just like Jesus says, take it, take it and eat. I needed to deal with the sin and the anger in my own heart, and so did she. Maybe on that day is the courage to sit across the table from someone who's been your enemy and love and forgive them. What does on that day look like for you? We don't have to get things perfect. All we need to do is invite. All we need to do is take it and eat. The disciples certainly didn't get things right. They screwed things up. But we still get to invite people to the family meal. We get to tell others, even in confusion and betrayal, that Jesus is here with us and we can celebrate in the midst of it because he is here and he is making things new now and forever. He's making a difference in my life, in my family, and in my city. Through his love and presence, Jesus takes the confusion and betrayal and turns it into a family celebration now and forever. I long for until that day because it means everything will be made whole again. But right now, we get a taste of it, and we get to invite others to taste it as well. Jesus is always present, always loving, always initiating. On your chairs, you have connect cards, and as we start to move towards the end of the service, I want you to prayerfully reflect on who Jesus is inviting you to make dinner plans with. Perhaps there's some communion you need to do, communion you need to do with Jesus in your own heart and able to extend an invitation to someone. If that's true, then I would encourage you, whatever that is, to write that down and invite others to pray for you and help you walk in forgiveness and celebration. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you love us and that you're always here with us. Thank you that nothing about our lives surprises you or freaks you out, that you see into those places in our hearts. And we pray, God, that you would help us through the power of your Holy Spirit to choose love every single day. And I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace who clears up confusion and who gives us love even in the midst of anger and pain. Let that be true for us today, Jesus. Amen.